invite you to open up your catechism to Lord's Day 45. This can be found on page 225 of the Forms and Prayers and in the Trinity Psalter Hymnal in page 893. As we're looking at prayer, um, the help of the Holy Spirit, I thought it'd be a good idea to read Lord's Day 45 and refresh ourselves with why Christians should pray. Lord's Day 45, question 116. Why do Christians need to pray? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And also because God will give His grace and Holy Spirit only to those who continually and with heartfelt longing ask God for these gifts and thank Him for them. How does God want us to pray so that He will listen to us? First, we must pray from the heart to no other than the one true God who has revealed himself to us in his word, asking for everything that he has commanded us to ask for him, of him. Second, we must fully recognize our need and misery so that we humble ourselves in God's majestic presence. Third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation, even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayers because of Christ our Lord as He has promised us in His Word. What has God commanded us to ask of Him? Everything we need spiritually and physically as embraced in the prayer Christ our Lord Himself taught us. What is this prayer? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debtors as we forget, forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now we turn to Scripture, to Romans chapter 8. We found the Pew Bibles at page 1201. We'll be reading for context from chapter 8, verses 18, all the way through 30. But our focus will be verses 26 and 27. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation waits eagerly longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So far the reading of God's word. Dear congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if you had to write a letter to a friend or a spouse with only a pen and one piece of paper, what would the end result look like? Would it discourage you from writing, knowing that you could see all your spelling errors or grammatical mistakes, mispunctuation and run-on sentences, scratched out words or sentences because they just did not come out right? Now what if you had a bottle of whiteout along with that pen and piece of paper. So you might be able to cover your mistakes, the mistakes known to you, but just because you cover those mistakes doesn't mean they're not still visible on the page, protruding from the page. Maybe there would be so many of them that the recipient of this letter would be confused as why you were trying to write to them in Braille. Now, what if that pen and paper was replaced with a computer and spell check? Backspace is a lot easier than whiteout, and spell check would catch those spelling mistakes, producing a cleaner and probably more legible letter. Or maybe you could use a program like Grammarly, a program that catches even writing tone, punctuation, grammar, and spelling. It can rephrase sentences to make them less wordy suggesting words to make them sound less repetitive, producing a clean, well-crafted letter. But technology is not always perfect, and it can be unreliable. So the question I want to ask is this. If there was a reliable aid that produced for you a perfect, well-articulated letter that removed all the burdens from writing and left you with the joy of pouring out your heart on paper, how often would you write? Our theme this evening as we examine Scripture is the reason the Spirit intercedes. And we'll look at this at two points, because we are weak and because He knows. Our first point, because we are weak. See, I think it would be safe to assume that every Christian has some sort of weakness in praying. See, prayer is difficult. There are many things that can derail you from seeking God in prayer. It could be staying awake while you pray, worn out by the day you seek God for strength, and with heavy eyes, you drift off. And you're in good company. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, left his disciples to pray and to keep watch only to come back and find them sleeping on the job. Maybe falling asleep is not your struggle, but you struggle with being distracted as you pray. 
Your prayers start off well, explain to God what is troubling you and what you're thankful for, and then something grasps your attention. Maybe it's the doorbell, any kind of notification really on your phone, or maybe it's kids or spouse or your neighbor's outside shenanigans. See, you find it hard to stay in the moment and concentrate at the task at hand, so you get frustrated and you give up. It could be that you forget to pray altogether. The busyness of life and everything that needs to get done, your mind is occupied with so much on the go. Time becomes a luxury you do not have, but forgetting to pray could be simply from not prioritizing. See, Luther is quoted in saying, With all I have to do today, I will not be able to finish unless I first devote myself to three hours of prayer. See, prayer is hard. And the weakness in our prayer life can manifest in many different ways. Yet Paul is not talking about the how of this prayer, but rather what we are praying. See, Paul is addressing the content of our prayers that we do not know what to pray as we ought. And why don't we know what to pray? We can investigate a couple of reasons. We're finite creatures. We do not know the end from the beginning as God does. We have no idea what is going to happen 30 seconds from now, let alone tomorrow. We cannot see the whole forest. We can only see the tree that is right in front of us. See, we do not know the will of God for creation either. We have no idea the reason behind the weather, why wildfires rage, why tornadoes destroy, why hurricanes demolish and earthquakes devour. What are the purpose of all these things? Is it a reminder of our helplessness to the power and destruction of nature? Is it judgment? Is there some undiscovered scientific benefit to these natural disasters? We have no idea for God's particular plan for the nations. We do not know why particular people are in power, why rulers rise and why they fall, why countries start wars, why nations rise and fall. Nor do we know what God's will for our own life is. Why did I come into this family? Was there a purpose to why I have the parents that I do? Why do I have three brothers instead of three sisters? Why did I make profession of faith early and not later in life? Why do I have the friends that I have? Why am I at the church in this particular town? Why am I doing this job in no other form of employment? See, we do not know how God uses our trials or tribulations either. Am I being disciplined, or is this to strengthen my life? See, we do not know God's plan for our life. We don't even know who we are. Why do I have these specific talents and gifts? What purpose did God have for me to exercise these gifts? Why do I like the things that I like, and why do those likes change? So we know nothing of our future selves. We only know who we are by what God has done for us in looking back in the past. There is much we do not know about God's plan for creation, for the people that fill that creation, but also for us individually. Now God can grant us grace and we can look back at a particular thread that's being pulled. 
But still, this is a guess at best. We do not know with full certainty. See, Christians do not know what to pray for because we lack the knowledge of God's will. See, in the text, Paul includes himself in this group of weak Christians who do not know what to pray for. And also remember, Paul pleaded with the Lord to take a thorn from his flesh. But there was a reason for the thorn. So Paul would not become conceited. And Paul conceded his prayer and accepted God's will. Another good example is Job. See, we get to look behind the scenes of Job's trials. Yet for Job, who was enduring these trials, says, Why have you made me your mark? Why have you become, why have I become a burden to you? We know that the start that Job was not a burden to God, but rather there was none like him, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil, a righteous man who, who, man of God displayed weakness in prayer. Only later did Job realize his folly, that he knew nothing of God's wisdom nor of his power. See, our weakness in the content of our prayers is not knowing what God's will is. We do not see the things as God sees them. We do not have the knowledge that God has. We do not know God's will for creation, for the nations, for the life of his people. Our most sincere, most heartfelt prayer could be completely abrasive to God's will. Our prayers are not only hindered by the understanding of the will of God, but also the sin that stains them. We're sinful creatures. And even though for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, have the guilt of sin removed, the pollution of sin still remains affecting every aspect of our life, even our prayers. So even if each one of us knew exactly what God's will was for our life, we would not faithfully pray a prayer that is in line with God's will. Because sin is anti-God. It wants nothing to do with the holy and righteous God. Sin wants filth. Sin wants disease. Sin wants decay. And sin wants destruction. See, only in a glorified state, free from all the effects of sin, will we be yes and amen to the will of God. We are weak. And just as our salvation relies on another in the person and work of Jesus and Christ, the prayers of the Christian heavily rely on the work of the Spirit because he knows. See, Paul uses a unique word in the original language for help. It is a compound verb that helped intensify the function of the action. A word that is only found twice in the New Testament. The other instant was in Luke when Martha asked Jesus, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. See, when the Holy Spirit helps, it's not an encouraging cheer from the sidelines, nor is it a pat on the back or a helpful opinion. Rather, the Spirit is doing some heavy lifting. He is sharing in your burden, aiding in your difficulty, because you are weak. You are unable to remove this weakness 
yourself. See, you need the intense help of the Holy Spirit. The intensity the Spirit helps us with is part of His ministry. A ministry that belongs to Him. Paul says the Spirit Himself. He's pointing out that Paul is drawing attention to the fact that this work is a personal work. Paul does not use it as if the Spirit is this impersonable force. An aid like four-wheel drive only good to you when you get stuck. The Spirit is personable. He shares in your burdens. Also, Paul is being emphatic, calling attention to the fact that this is the work of the Spirit. The Spirit has its own distinct ministry. The Spirit's ministry is not the ministry of the Father as creator or sustainer of all things. The Spirit's ministry is not the ministry of the Son as our Redeemer, nor is the Spirit a co-laborer with us in prayer. See, Paul is being emphatic that the Spirit himself is the one who intercedes for us. And the Spirit can intercede because He fully knows the will of God. A will that is hidden from us because of our weakness and the limitations of our finite mind. We cannot speak of God's will in our prayers, but the Spirit perfectly intercedes for us and expresses to God those petitions that perfectly match the will of God. See, the Spirit takes our prayers our baby talk, our half-prayers and half-distracted thoughts, those heartless rote repetitions that do not conform to the will of God, the Spirit compensates for our deficiencies and produces prayers that match the will of God perfectly. The Spirit does this with groanings that are too deep for words. Now, groaning has some bad connotations. We might think of groaning. We might think of murmur or whining complaining or protesting. Paul's not stating here that the Spirit of God is frustrated with your prayers because of your repeated requests. Another possible translation could be sigh, but still it's a word with bad connotations. The Spirit is not bored with your prayers, disinterested is how out of line you are with the will of God. See, Paul's being metaphorical here. He's trying to express something that is inexpressible. To help the limits of our finite mind. To help us grasp what the Spirit does. See, what Paul is trying to explain is the deep-rooted desire of the Spirit to conform our prayers to the will of God. See, a groan that is too deep for words. And it makes sense that these vocal groans are but a longing from the core that deep desire, because Paul explains that these groans are too deep for words. And it's not that the Spirit lacks the sophistication to express or that he lacks the vocabulary to articulate it, as if it's all the Spirit can muster is a grunt. The Spirit is not tongue-tied, but this groan is without words. It's unexpressed or without audible speech. See, the Spirit's ministry takes place in our hearts in a matter impossible to be perceived by us. And is undiscernible to us because it's the Spirit's own prayer language. See, Paul helps us to understand in verse 27, he says, He who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit. See, again here, Paul is using metaphorical language. God doesn't have to search your heart. 
Like he's discovering a new land, putting together a map of your heart. No, he's the one that created the heart. He's the one that knit you together in your mother's womb. See, God knows the mind of the Spirit is. May have you ever wondered, in the unity of the Trinity, does each person need to speak? No. They do not need to discover the thoughts or intentions of each other. Their knowledge is perfect. Their knowledge is in perfect harmony with each other. They just know. And how do you explain such unity? How can a finite creature understand what the communication is like between the Father, between the Son, and between the Holy Spirit? What is that unity like? A unity that just knows. A silence that can speak a multitude of words. How do you capture that in words? See, Paul's using metaphorical language because to help our minds wrestle and grasp with that harmony. And because of that unity, the Spirit knows the will of God and can help us in our weakness because we do not know the will of God. And although our prayers are sincere and they're honest with all humility, it might not be God's will for creation, His creatures, or you. Now, if you're wondering if the Spirit prays a complete, well-articulated prayer on my behalf that matches the will of God, then why do I need to pray? Well, a covenant member of God should want and need to pour out his heart to God. You should want to pour out your heart to to God in gratitude that he sent his Son. You should want to express with the best use of your language your thankfulness for salvation. The gratitude for being reconciled and adopted as son. You should want to seek God in prayer so that you can marvel at his son. That he is gentle and lowly, but all-powerful and king of all creation. How we could pray all night in perfect accordance with God's will. How Jesus Christ came to serve his creation, emptied himself of all his riches, and became poor for our sake. Praying to ask for the knowledge to understand a love so deep that Christ would become poor so that you could become rich. We also see that the text says that the Spirit only prays when the heart of the Christian is poured out. See, the Spirit cannot intercede when there's nothing to intercede for. No matter how bad you think your prayers are, that you stumble and stammer about what to say, that's okay. The Spirit works with your weakness. Your fumbled prayers are better than no prayers at all. See, to be a Christian without praying is more possible than to be alive without breathing. As to say, no, a non-praying Christian is hardly a Christian at all. Also, in the simplest terms, Jesus teaches us to pray. And Jesus himself prayed. How naive it is to think that Jesus Christ, who is more capable than us in every way, slipped away to be alone with God and pray. How much more do we need prayer? 
Or maybe it's more helpful for you to think of what we get to do instead of what we have to do. You can think of a scenario. You're wrestling with what God's will for you is. You read through His Word, renewing your mind. You meditate on His Word, wrestling with what you read, laboring over what it means. And finally, you pray. And maybe, just maybe, part of that prayer matches perfectly with the will of God. What an encouragement to want to pray. And it can be helpful to be reminded that every time you pray because of the intercession of the Holy Spirit, it's a perfect prayer. We can pray and glorify God with a myriad of perfect prayers that match His will with the intercession of the Holy Spirit. A beautiful piece of art presented to the Father by His adopted Son. See, prayer also is worship. It's an acknowledgement of our dependence on God. It is the unbeliever who does not think that he needs anything from God. But everyone depends on him for everything. And like we heard from this morning, the unbeliever is even dependent upon God for the boost up to slap God on his cheek. See, prayer acknowledges who God is as the Almighty God, holy and righteous, and you, His creature, sinful and weak. Lastly, when you pray, your prayers are never fruitless. Because the Spirit knows you better than you know yourself. He knows all your struggles. He knows all your shortcomings. He knows where you'll be in seven years. He knows how much you struggle in your prayer life. Yet every time you pray, the Spirit perfectly aligns your prayers with the will of God. And because it aligns with the will of God, it will never return void because He cannot deny Himself. Dear congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Every day of your life, every step you take along this Christian pilgrimage, you have two people interceding for you. You have the Son interceding for you in heaven, and you have the Spirit interceding for you on earth. You have Jesus Christ in the throne room of God, interceding for you with the forgiveness of your sins and the Holy Spirit dwelling in your hearts providing spotless prayers to God that match perfectly to His will. Your iniquities have been washed by the blood of Christ and the impurities of your prayers have been washed by the Spirit's intercession. So pray fervently. Pray frequently. Pray for the pure joy of getting to pour out your heart to God, knowing that the Spirit intercedes for you faithfully, and perfectly. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you thanking you for such a wonderful helper to our prayer life, Lord, that you have given the Spirit to us to intercede for our prayers when we fall short, not knowing what to pray for, Lord, because we do not know your will. But we know, Lord, that your will will be done. And that we are thankful that we have the opportunity to pray for you. That we can pour our hearts out to you, Lord. 
We thank you that the Spirit intercedes for us and conforms those perfect prayers to match your will, Lord. May your will be done on earth, Lord, and may we see one day the glory of your Son and praise his name forever. Amen.